I think starting them is the easiest. And I, I hear a lot of people disagree with that, but I, I don't really leverage anything when I start a painting. It, it's just start making marks. And nothing happens until you just start for me. And they never really have a goal in mind. There's not a end in sight, so to speak. And that's why I also like to just put a lot of surfaces in front of me at once and begin them together. Eventually, you know, things start happening. You start realizing, oh, this this makes a lot of sense. This not so much over here. This thing's getting too clever. It's not clever enough. You know, this palette's mindless, but maybe that's something I can utilize. Maybe I've been a little too cute. You know, you're just ping-ponging around, but ultimately just keep things moving until, uh, you know, that identity will come forward. You've done enough of these at this point that whether you're comfortable with the results or not, and that discomfort can be valid. Um, eventually it lands somewhere. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 234th interview, Derek Miner joins me from St. Paul, Minnesota. We talk all about painting and his studio practice, which incorporates a variety of materials, including uh, oil paint, acrylic paint, cloth, fabric, uh, photographs, and how he brings all of these things together in his studio practice, how he began earlier as an artist interested in the figure, and how that's moved into various uh, states of abstraction in his work, line making, mark making, and how the process evolves in his studio. So be sure and stay tuned. The paintings are super colorful and very interesting to look at. So be sure and check out all of his work. His website is Derek-Meyer.com. And if you want to see the latest and greatest updating Instagram all the time with beautiful, colorful works of abstraction, go to Derek underscore august underscore on instagram and be sure to follow him there if you're sitting down and listening to studio break for the very first time be sure and check out some of the other artists that we featured on studiobreak.com so go there again we got a big archive each of our interviews have images of the artist's artwork and links to their websites and you can listen to our interviews right there in the default player or just smash that link button and subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify google play and check us out there so you never miss an episode you can also follow along by liking our facebook page and of course following us on twitter at studio break and on instagram at studio underscore break and with those quick announcements let's dive right into this world of abstraction with Derek meyer stay tuned Welcome to Studio Break, Derek Meyer. How are you doing this morning? I am well. Thanks for having me. First became familiar with your work through I Like Your Work podcast. They had a juried exhibition. So, you know, I was a juror for that one and I want to pick you to be on the podcast because I thought your work was so awesome. So I'm glad that we got this set up. Yeah, likewise. And I appreciate it. Before we, you know, dive headfirst into artwork, you know, where are you from originally? And I guess where are you at now too? That would be a good, good thing. I currently live in St. Paul, Minnesota, but originally from rural Minnesota. So like the, the southwest corner, kind of a little little more spaced out region, you mm -hmm. could say. Yeah, much much denser populace I'm amongst now. <laughs> so kind of it grew up rural. Gosh, I love saying that word. I know, right? I'm like, does that sound right? 
<laughs> were you always kind of interested in making art and, and doing creative stuff when you were young? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think mark making was was always a given. I just kind of grew up doing it while I was doing or should have been doing other things, you know, whether it's uh, classwork or, or paying attention or things like that. I think hand went to utensil and on paper, it just kind of was automatic. I think of like family functions for, you know, when you start having to draw stuff because you're so bored, you know, like when you're in that age where you don't care at all about adults. But there's nothing to do at like your grandma's house. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, or like sitting in the church pew and they give you the little, the little, this kind of the, the hymns <laughs> for the day, the little pamphlet, you know, and just throwing, throwing down, you know, rad sure. hot rods and skulls on those things, leaving them for the <laughs> next person. You said that you were taking art classes in, in school. And again, I'm pretty sure most people kind of do it some capacity at some point, but that was something that you were doing too. I, I took as many as they offered, you know, I, like so many schools, you know, the arts prioritization is varies. Sure. I would say once kind of got towards high school, the curriculum got pretty broad and, and yeah, I did, I did as absolutely as much as possible. And then obviously went, went on to get my BFA after that. I'm assuming that, you know, paint was something that was explored with their other kind of weird things like 3d stuff or graphic design or. Yes, yes to graphics, a, a little bit of 3D work. I, I, I won't say I coexist with, with 3D work very well. It's something I enjoy. It's not a language I'm adept at. And even paint it itself, I didn't come into like truly until uh, I was in a college setting. For me, it, it was some graphics, but a lot of it was just mixed media drawing and collage, you know, really, really base materials and just kind of building things from there. I can't say I had any idea of my identity as an artist <laughs> or an image maker in high school, but just knew I, I couldn't get enough of it, needed it. An aesthetic was not formed quite yet. Pretty easy then to kind of choose that as a, as a thing to study. So people start out like in totally different areas and then some people are like, oh no, art for sure. I mean, was that where you started? I remember getting to college orientation. I was like, I don't like to do um, a lot of things people do for jobs. And I was like, hey, but um, I, I love art and I love music. So I was kind of like, it'll, it'll be one or the other. If this is what, you know, this is <laughs> what I'm here for, uh, I'll grow in one of these realms. And I was, I was kind of exhausted with music a little bit, um, which maybe sounds a little odd for an 18 year old, but it was kind of a daily constant and, and art seemed like that thing I wanted to foster further. So I just, I just went, I, I don't, I don't know what else to say. I just drew a line and, and walked it. Well, and I'm curious, what, what music background did you have? Like in bands or like playing a professional type concert pianist or something? <laughs> no, no, we're, we're talking just rugged, terrible uh, <laughs> punk and metal in, in my dad's basement. I feel like I'm not super productive in the studio right now, but I've been playing the guitar again, which is really bizarre for me. And writing really dumb songs with my friend from graduate school. Yeah, that sounds great. Who's a much better musician than me. <laughs> yeah, that's really what, you know, I wanted to be better than I was, I think. And I was exhausting myself trying to get there. And it's like, you got to pick one or, you know, like it's weird though, too, because I think like for whatever reason, there's something kind of comforting about doing other things that gives you confidence in the things that you love doing, you know? I would agree with that. Yeah. You make a little guitar lick and you're like, oh, right. Like this is fun but you know painting is fun in the same you know like in the same way that you have to practice something to get good at it absolutely and i think at that point i was just overthinking it 
you know, if I went back to it, I think I would find more joy in it and maybe be better at it for that. But I don't know what any of it would sound like now. I just, <laughs> I just remember I couldn't split time between playing music and being in the studio. I didn't want to be kind of half in. Right. Yeah. It just, it didn't, it didn't fit. So yeah, I just jumped into painting shortly after arriving at school and I haven't stopped since. So I guess it was the right choice. I'm curious, you know, because like, obviously your work is pretty abstracted. Of course. Definitely want to talk about some influences because I have a number of people that I wrote down as I'm looking at your work. I'm curious, you know, you were making more, like you said, collage based and mixed media based works. Were they always kind of abstracted works or did you kind of dabble in, you know, realism or working from observation or anything? It was all realism. It, and then the abstraction was an unknown thing to me at that point in time you know it was was, I'm sure we'll get to that but yeah it was all realism it was that that's how you kind of proved yourself you know is is making things is I mean that's so naive to 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 think and say I feel kind of silly but you know I mean it's how you proved your chops is um, kind of creating the most satisfying illusion of reality with your materials that's you know that's the the child mindset I think a little bit I noticed some uh, figurative pieces on your uh, website from your works on paper. I'm curious if that's something that you were doing maybe like early on in, in terms of like figure drawing and kind of working from the figure or. Before I kind of went all in, so to speak, with abstraction and completely divorced myself from reality in my art practice, I, I the figure and more classical themes like that was kind of a natural fit and progression, I think. And I took such a just had really the most phenomenal figure drawing instructors in, in school that kind of pushed that that kind of idea that every every challenge in image making is is kind of found in, in the figure. So yeah, I uh, utilized that subject matter a lot when just kind of learning the language of different mediums. Well, and it's interesting to think about that relative to even your paintings now because you think about you know a shape as being such an important aspect of that. So, I mean, like, again, the figure, absolutely, you know, you could zoom in on, like, some weird part of a rib cage, or, you know, <laughs> the way that part of a shoulder looks or something like that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, now I'm doing mixed-media drawings. It's, again, that I'm actually taking old screen prints from, well, probably about that year that you're looking at, and I, I keep everything, you know, because I just know it's going to make sense at some point, you know, to... When you're doing mixed media, I mean, at the very least, you're cutting things up and reapplying them to the current. So to that extent, I have these kind of mixed media drawings where I've kind of blown out the barriers of the the original figure, which is kind of classically done, and and, and then filled in the gaps with these kind of ridiculous battle scenes of, of just drawing the way I used to draw mm-hmm. before there was any pressure. Worried kind of going back to maybe those, those church hymnals, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just bullets flying and, and hair everywhere and all that, you know, just insanity <laughs> and kind of seeing how maybe these, these things with the advanced aesthetic language you've maybe garnered over the years can be kind of married to be something fun and new and exciting. Sure. Was there a, sp- a specific experience that you had where you were you started kind of really pushing that? Cause I know like, again, as we were kind of just describing they kind of throw you into uh, you know, paint this realistic and then you slowly kind of move away from this. You're maybe studying other artists and stuff like that. But was there like a experience where you're like, Oh my gosh, like I'm going to start, you know, putting tape into my paintings or whatever. Kind of early on realized there's just so many different ways to make that mark. 
I just have adapted early on a, a practice of of keeping everything painting on adjacent materials and moving them around like a mark, you know, just kind of a pre-made mark and just kind of puzzling them in to the composition. I also find it just strategically is successful if paint's just not fully doing it or you've hit some sort of um, blockage. And I imagine these are like kind of developing in your in your painting class where you start kind of working with these various collage materials. When I first started abstraction, I just I, it was such an unknown. And between that, truly, truly diving into the language of paint, you know, for the first time and being so excited about it, realizing all the, you know, horror and romance that exists there. I, I just but not having any kind of um, preconceived notions or or not being really clued in, I was just kind of throwing everything at these canvases and for better or worse, and I'm sure most often worse, but uh, there's a few survivors uh, that that made some sense, but, and these things are so built up and brutal. Yeah. I just, enough couldn't go on top of them. And eventually it just kind of, you, you get there. Sure. They happen a little quicker nowadays. What were some of the materials in terms of and again, I don't want to give any way like trade secrets, but I'm I'm curious, of course, because I see things that I'm like, oh, that looks like a piece of thread. Oh, that's like part of a piece of canvas. Oh, that must have been a piece of canvas that's glued there or something. It runs the gamut and back. It, it really does. I keep packing materials. I've been u- utilizing flag tape, which is like this really interesting material to me. It's it's not adhesive. I think they use it for marking. You might see it on a metal rod. Mm-hmm. regardless it's not adhesive it's a semi-transparent it comes in all these lovely colors it's really inexpensive and i think that's really it it's just inexpensive you know like keeping being thrifty you know fabric squares all these things are they're just so much fun to move around to paint on and then oftentimes just ultimately cut and peel back up and they bring paint with them and and all of a sudden that underpainting is smarter than it was before to speak on your point i think you know that's one of my Biggest draws to mixed media is that that there's this kind of intimate investigation of materials. I think it really brings viewers closer to want to understand a little bit better what what exactly uh, what mechanisms are at play. I would imagine then, like you know, at the start of this, you know, kind of gives you a lot of freedom to just try anything out. You know, like again, you're talking about cloth uh, squares. I'm sure you're, you know, finding stuff on the ground. Like, oh, I wonder if this wrapper will work. <laughs> Yeah, at that point, what do you have to lose, you know? And there's a lot of interesting textures, it looks like, in terms of, like, the most current work. So I'd imagine that's also something that you've always been kind of really interested in. Because, you know, almost all your paintings, you can kind of see a lot of layering, a lot of texture, you know, paint that's, like, been washed over other areas. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's always a push and pull. There's just no clear way through it. Yeah, it's kind of won and lost in that layering. Really. So, you know, one thing that we're just talking about is all this material exploration. And then, you know, I'm alluded to this earlier, but I'm curious, you know, who you looked at in terms of artists that you were kind of like really inspired by or kind of drawing from at the end. Again, this is going back into your BFA days. So, I mean, you have to <laughs> maybe go back a little bit. I had the immense privilege of, of studying under a lot of really talented artists and being adjacent to many as well. But as far as kind of digging into the the history books, you know, I mean, that obviously at New York school is is kind of unavoidable, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of religion for, for my practice. Obviously, Devin Korn is likely one of the, the greatest painters of the 20th century. I think that would be hard to argue against. Kind of the 
brutality of, of Jim Dine's drawings, mm-hmm. you know, factored in quite a bit. I think that he kind of housed a certain thriftiness. You know, you look at some of these works that were these great drawings done on just this wrecked paper. It just kind of shows it doesn't have to all be very pristine. You know, you, you can kind of harbor this nothing sacred mentality. And, and I, I know it helped me a lot. So I'm just being an artist that has, uh, <laughs> safe to say, some OCD, mm-hmm. <laughs> being, being a little free to make a mess. Uh, not clean, not clean the edges off of the painting, so to speak. Well, and it's interesting too, because one of the things that I was writing down in my notes too, that I started thinking about was Rothko because there's kind of like this, and I guess I don't know that, you know, I'm an expert on Rothko, but I think about like the bands of like colors that are kind of used to kind of almost frame stuff. And I think that is something that kind of almost happens a little bit in your, in your paintings and especially more of your recent ones, because there's kind of like these areas that kind of come forward and then this sure. space that recedes. So you know, I thought that was interesting or. Yeah, I think Rothko, obviously, he's doing this extremely nuanced color transitions. And but yeah, the frameworks there. Yeah, I, I definitely think those kind of alters that he created are, are something that have bled into some of my compositions for sure. Those are almost read like, you know, TV screens at times. My aesthetics are probably a little more shouty than his. But <laughs> sure, sure. I'm thinking just in terms of the composition, you know. Right. Um, and oddly enough, like another person I started writing down too, and maybe it's just because of the shapes, you know, like the smaller linear aspects of your work, which are actually kind of consistent throughout some of these bodies. I started thinking about Philip Gustin even. Yeah. And I noticed too, again, I think there's maybe one painting that I found that's just acrylic on your on your site. Almost all of them else are mixed media. And again, that's DerekMiner.com. So again, people should definitely go check out. There's plenty of, plenty of paintings there. But one of the things that's interesting to me too is that maybe half of those works, they're maybe a little bit different in terms of color. Maybe they're a little bit more muted and then maybe not quite as much of that layering going on. But I guess, you know, to kind of consider some of the maybe older works, what's the process in terms of like starting to kind of work through something? Are you just working entirely on the canvas or are you doing anything, you know, based off of photos or, you know, nature walks or anything like that? How do you kind of get inspired to kind of start working on these? I think starting them is the easiest. And I I hear a lot of people disagree with that, but I... I don't really leverage anything when I start a painting. It's just start making marks. Nothing happens until you just start for me. And they never really have a goal in mind. There's not an end in sight, so to speak. And that's why I also like to just put a lot of surfaces in front of me at once and begin them together. Eventually, you know, things start happening. You start realizing, oh, this, this makes a lot of sense. This is not so much over here. This thing's getting too clever. It's not clever enough. <laughs> you know, this palette's mindless, but maybe that's something I can utilize. Maybe I've been a little too cute. You know, you're just ping-ponging around, but ultimately just keep things moving until, uh, you know, that identity will come forward. You've done enough of these at this point that whether you're comfortable with the results or not, and that discomfort can be valid, um, eventually it lands somewhere. Um, eventually it lands somewhere. And hopefully it looks something like your aesthetic, I guess. But I guess that's something I'm trying to avoid a little bit less, or at least that thought process. Like it needs to fit the canon. You know what I mean? I think that's why I'm entering more of my drawings in. And it's why I am started doing some of the Polaroid work and, and, and just kind of adding. Like these are things that I do, but I didn't show as much. Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt like... Um, 
seems like artists just the sinking feeling that like you need to build an aesthetic and that's how you gain momentum out there in the world but uh, i've kind of started moving away from that thought process and, and deciding that they they all kind of make sense in a world to, together and I, I guess just trying to cast a little bit wider net and that it, it doesn't hurt to show the other aspects of your studio practice well and i think the other thing is you know again you kind of describe you know working really intuitively you'd want to start on you know a bunch of them at the same time i'm sure then there's ones where you kind of like mix up some like gaudish color and then try to figure out how to fix it and you know there's all yeah. sorts of that going on in there i'm sure yeah i think creating an immediate problem is a really great way to make a painting sure whether it's starting on something old and just not whitewashing it first or yeah like you said like picking a palette that's just kind of terrible um <laughs> i think that's where i started doing these these really bright pink and yellow paintings that are probably more prevalent on my instagram than my website but um just because they're newer yeah those those fluorescent those two colors together in a fluorescent capacity is it's really challenging at least to my eye they they don't uh cooperate together so nicely so right there you've got an issue and then just how are you going to resolve it? But uh, you put a painting through through the the ditch a little bit, and it, it comes out with a lot more character and a little, little that history kind of shows. Well, so oddly enough, you know, one that I want to talk about that's a little bit older, and you know, certainly yeah. we'll talk a little bit about your your current work as as we kind of start uh, <laughs> moving forward in time. Um, but there's this one oddly enough that's called rural. Gosh, rural, rural, <laughs> rural, rural. You know. <laughs> feel like that could be a whole uh, podcast episode. Rural. Rural, you know, it's a really nice painting. And like I was saying earlier, you know, some of the older works, you know, you're incorporating a little bit more black, I think, into the compositions, um, you know, black and white. There's certainly similar elements into it. But again, this is one that I really like because it kind of has some of those aspects where you might look into it as it's almost like a landscape, but then aspects that come out really flat with some of the line work, particularly like the yellow uh, lines kind of added to it. But um, I'm curious, you know, just to kind of think about it in terms of like time and stuff, like you were saying earlier that some of these took a little bit longer. I mean, like a painting like that, I mean, like how many sessions are, are we thinking about in terms of maybe working through it? If you can recall, <laughs> I mean, again, I don't know. This one though, definitely faster than most, you know, and, and I think something we all learn is how to not hopefully anyway, is not to beat them to death, mm -hmm. you know, just to stop and realize, oh, I think that happened. I wasn't really anticipating this, this results or this um, coming so quickly. But, you know, I, I just remember professors saying, just, just put it away and work on another one like that one, you know, mm -hmm. having that little like, whatever on your shoulder, you know, telling you that that's, that's good. <laughs> it's time to move along and this is definitely one of those paintings where it just kind of happened quickly I, I see a lot of what's there is the type of thing i do initially quickly mm -hmm. um and then you know some some builds of of flat color bodies that are were likely covering up some busy work that wasn't uh gelling with me yes and it, and it definitely does that one more than a lot of them lately is is a little more representational of a landscape not that i took a photo or chose one it's not mm -hmm. a place that actually exists i'm always inventing spaces it's it's uh, of course we borrow visual information all the time even if you're just out for a walk you're downloading you know but i don't leverage actual 
imagery. I am always just kind of world building on my own. That painting is definitely, a, that was probably just a quick few sessions. Well, I was going to say too, like in comparison to like, there's another one called Harden Yet Peeled Open, which yeah. again has this super massive kind of like almost Clifford Still type, you know, blackness to it in terms of, you know, the composition, because that's like such a predominant thing in there. But again, like this one, certainly devoid of, you know, like an actual space, maybe like the previous one that we were just talking about has a little bit more of that. But again, it's really interesting to think about how they, they can vary quite a bit, because this one definitely sits a little bit more flat on the surface. But then there's that weird, you know, interacting of that shape where you don't know if, you know, that orangey salmony color is on top or if it's behind that black shape. And I think that's one of the tensions that's really kind of cool, you know, throughout the work. Yeah. And this is one of those paintings from the college days that I, I cared enough about to not get paint over. <laughs> it's, you know, just, and it's, it's really kind of an oddity, but sometimes you just like stumble into something and it teaches you a lot and yeah, kind of earns its place and, and uh, on the wall, not to be the destroyed or cast out. Well, and that's, I think, one of the hardest things, you know, about working intuitively is like there's a point where like everything could be awesome. And if you just stopped, it'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then you just go, no, I'm going to work a little bit more. And then you just kill it. And then you somehow have to rescue it. You do. You do. And in that rescuing, sometimes it might grow into something better. But you also might have departed the most keen time to stop. The best outcome might have might have sailed. But, you know, we We'll paint a million of these in our lifetime. They they can't all be optimum. We've been talking about how there's that abstract language that gets built and, and certainly a lot of ex exploration in terms of materials and I would imagine techniques. You know, there's drips, there's all sorts of things collaged in there. Like I'm looking at one called Whiteout that's a little bit later, and I'm like, it kind of looks like a tent, you know, like there's parts of it that become almost like a, like you said earlier about that other piece, almost like a landscape or have landscape elements in it, but it's still very, very abstracted. I mean, again, are, are you kind of more interested in just that formal quality getting through to, to people that look at them? Or is there any kind of specific thing that you want them to kind of really take away? I think the formal quality is probably the largest impression trying to leave as far as any kind of narrative you know that's interwoven in there those things kind of exist in my head i don't really coach people up to see any of that mm -hmm. intentionally anyway i think it's pretty rare i see them as others do but yeah i mean by all means let your imagination run wild you know people find a great deal of comfort in finding imagery and abstraction you know i think that's kind of an entry point for a lot of audience members and i i understand that and and encourage that and this one, yeah, it is like this kind of almost weird village. <laughs> it's been a while since I've even looked at this this painting. <laughs> you know, I, I think just the language of paint is what I'm most interested in. Sure. That's enough for me. But I can't say that I don't throw things in there that are a little more of our uh, realm. And if people pick them out or find something else in that, that's, you know, that's phenomenal. Well, one thing that I totally just missed now and I'm like, whoa, I got to ask about this. I see some oil paint in here. What happened? You were like an oil painter for a quick second, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's that's that great ventilation in college, you know, the <laughs> expensive studio, and then and then you leave. <laughs> now you're painting on your kitchen table or you know your garage, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't I don't have a, a romantic you know uh, studio in the city. <laughs> kind of a caveman in in a sense, you know I've. 
done it all over on my property. So, and it's, it's made me pretty savvy, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm trying to live a long, healthy life. So the, the oil, I, I'm, I'm kind of getting back into it mm-hmm. now that I, I have the, the space to, to do it correctly and safely. But I, I did have to peel away for a bit. I mean, I, I prefer oil, you know, it, it just has more nuance. It has the more sophisticated uh, look to it. You know, there's no, there's no doubt about that, but acrylic, there's something other than the fact that it plays nicer with mixed media. It also, it's just flat, you know, it, 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 it needs more caressing. It needs, it needs, it needs you to be, I think a better painter in a sense. I, the paintings need more out of you because, uh, I look at some of these oil paintings that I I feel are successful. Mine, I'm speaking mine. I'm not sure. pointing any fingers, but <laughs> I look at them. I'm like, I like that. I like it a lot, but it's also a little lazy. And I, I think I got away with some things because, yeah, oil and linseed oil. And are, yeah, it's just beautiful. It just glows. Yeah. You know, it, it just entrenches. It's deep. It's It's like ocean water you know it's not you know it's supposed to acrylic that can i mean i'm using house paint and and all sorts of things now and and i think it's pushed my facilities as a painter as a mark maker so kind of primarily like as you're you know exiting your your bfa you know you've got similar i'm sure work in terms of kind of all of that mark making and essentially like the last time that you can kind of really work in oil before you're transitioning to a space where you don't have any ventilation um right Right. I'm curious if that's also where like the, the Polaroid stuff started. And I definitely want to talk again about like the more current paintings and then the, the mixed media Polaroids. But where do those especially fall in? Are you kind of working on them concurrently with the paintings? I kind of came into a small collection of 20 Polaroids and, you know, they have their own kind of quality to them. But I've always made kind of smaller mixed media works, collage works, whether they're studies or or what have you. And I, I treat them like paintings, you know, really. They're probably more mixed media than paint, but really they're, you know, moving marks of color like what a painting. And the the Polaroids came about, I, I kind of realized that, you know, with some water and, and scrubbing, you can kind of like reopen their chemistry and and kind of paint them in a sense. And then also, you know, utilizing mixed media was able to just kind of, change the compositions up and and therefore kind of reopen their narratives mm-hmm. also. And I think it's really just a push in doing more, more overt narration in my work. And are these like families, family like Polaroids? Well, they're not my family. Okay. Interesting. They're a family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have no clue, you know, and what the summer of 68, you know, held for these people, but I get to just kind of dream, you know, about it and, and what else it may have could have been. And just kind of open up these colors and lines and, you know, play with the writing around the edges and just kind of the the kind of found aesthetic beauty that, you know, box of Polaroids has. And, you know, and then that working with those, you know, informs constructs in my paintings. You know, I go back to the wall and, and realize it's all a dialogue. You know, it's all a language that all kind of feeds its every other aspect. So one of them that I'm noticing, and again, this might be harder to kind of find because, you know, I'm going to try to describe it as best I can. <laughs> um, yeah. But it look, looks like these two kids in like a canoe or something like that. And it's just interesting because you can kind of see that quality that you're talking about maybe kind of 
altering them, you know, back by, I don't know what kind of chemicals you're using or, you know, if you're just using water or something like that, but they kind of have that really wonderful kind of like degraded, like photo look, but then, you know, the way that it'll just take a little bit of that intense color to kind of mix back into it and activate, you know, like it, it's weird. Cause it'll, you'll get that washed out look like this thing. It was maybe like sitting in a, you know, a diner that, you know, was in front of the sun for seven years or 70 years or I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've really been interested in light sensitive materials for a long time. I love, I love that ephemeral quality and I love basically that aging process and being able to coerce that is, is exciting to me. So in a lot of my mixed media work, I use light sensitive paper and it starts as this kind of rich blue and it, I mean, it fades over time in different varying grays. You can kind of work images into it also. You know, you can put tape over that paper and, and it'll, the color will age differently with that translucency over it, for example. So these, to much of the same effect, you know, I was excited to see that I could reaccess that chemistry, kind of open up those reds and yellows, create lines, draw on them essentially. And then I was working transparencies that I had just handled with paints on my hands, you know, that had the kind of harmonious color that kind of um, fed into what was going on underneath. So, yeah, again, just it's just, you know, moving pieces around really until and ultimately creating paintings. I mean, I, I just look at these as four inch paintings, but just with a little more overt storytelling. Well, and it's interesting to think about how they kind of do still relate to the type of mark making and language that you've been using just on like a really smaller scale, obviously I'm assuming, but that kind of like washy kind of surface that you have in your other paintings is kind of, you know, similar to that chemical, I think breakdown. So I think that aspect's really interesting, you know, with the aesthetic, the way that they kind of relate and still kind of look layered. I think these things, yeah, they do. It kind of goes back to talking about all your work tying together. I think that's something that's, maybe a little more apparent to others than it is to yourself at times. Well, and there's some that really remind me of those Rothko-esque kind of like setups. You know, there's like another one that I was looking at that kind of has like this, it looks like, you know, a figure that's flipped upside down outside this like window. The photograph is all kind of like really, you know, sepia, orangey, and then, you know, there's kind of almost like a skyline. But again, it's a, there's a number of these kind of rectilinear formats that, you know, certainly kind of show up in the paintings as well. Yeah, I think an aspect of OCD is definitely kind of adhering to rigid grid-like patterns. Yeah, so I think kind of framework of sorts is just kind of consumes my mind at times. Definitely, definitely feeds into my aesthetic. I, I can't deny that. So I was just talking a little about this kind of Rothko-esque kind of like framework. But then, you know, as I was saying earlier, too, there's kind of almost like these windows that you kind of see into the the pieces with as well. And again, there's a kind of like a series of the more recent paintings that kind of almost have this, I don't want to say standing for like a figurative element, but it's kind of got like a figure ground relationship. So like one example might be a piece called Alter or another one that I was looking at was uh, the Timekeeper. But it's interesting because they have aspects where, you know, maybe there's kind of like a flat area, but then also like this area that you're kind of looking into and kind of more overtly than some of the previous works has a lot more linear aspects to it or, or lines, you know, kind of drawn over and layered over each other. Maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what's kind of changed in, in the recent, I guess, language that you've been kind of coming up with or even processes, anything like that. So those works you mentioned are, are kind of just kind of a natural progression of my, my work moving more into acrylics mm -hmm. and also trying to hone in a little bit more on what imagery 
interested me, like kind of boiling down how you construct a landscape and and kind of creating these spaces that seem kind of almost, well, it, it, literally in the title of one of them, like altar pieces, these kind of centered bodies that, that are against flat backdrops that are kind of, they just look like maybe grails or, or kind of holy spaces that we inhabit, you know, just kind of like honing in on basically these formations, if that makes sense. I, I guess I it's just creating something that seemed kind of centralized and, and less broad. That makes sense for sure. And again, I love all the experimentation in, in, in terms of the work, like previous bodies of work. There's ones that have a lot more of that linear language in it. And then there's ones like wreckage that, you know, like just has this predominant like yellow orange that's kind of like layering over the whole painting essentially but it's really kind of transparent you can see the colors kind of peeking through are there any that kind of particularly stick out as your favorites i guess if that <laughs> i know they're all your favorites but they're truly not they're <laughs> truly not some are hard to look at you know i'm i think we're all pretty critical of our own practice but don't get me wrong i mean these outcomes are valid and and i think they're all finished works of course otherwise i wouldn't put them online <laughs> You know, I see varying degrees of success, of course. I don't want to allude to that because I don't want to alienate any viewers. But um, <laughs> I, I see different things that I would maybe do differently. And other ones I look at, I'm like, why don't I do that anymore? Because that seems even better now than it did when I did it. You know, I, I think some of the more successful ones, uh, the ones you just highlighted are, are ones that are fond to me. <laughs> they seem to really really speak to, to others as well. And I, I do acknowledge their their success and their kind of controlled nature. I think that uh, when I look at like like Hostel, it's it's kind of in the, the top middle. Again, that was, you know, kind of pushing this palette that's kind of aggressive and dare I say, <laughs> ugly, you know. <laughs> sure. And and really going hard with, with varying materials and, and, and just trying to push my facilities and, and you know, pack a lot in a really small canvas and adding you know, text and then doing some of these things that are just a little outside of, of my normal aesthetics are when, when you reach a, a successful stopping point when you're facing those challenges. I think those are paintings that hang with you for sure, you know, just because a lot's learned. And I think that's really the big thing is the paintings I learn the most from or ones I'm the most fond of. They might not be my favorite visually, I, I probably have kind of a hostile relationship towards the ones that are really visually pleasing because <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's just this weird aversion I have to making paintings that are a little too clever, that are a little too kind visually. I know that seems very counterproductive probably <laughs> to uh, selling work and, and getting on people's walls and in galleries. But I, I really, and I think, you know, it's kind of, fun part of, of doing this and talking with you is you're bringing these old paintings back to my attention and I'm, and, you know, you're looking through these and I'm like, Oh yeah, that was much less cute. <laughs> and I think valid for that, you know, and I, I, so those are the paintings that really stick with me. The ones that are kind of just brutal, so to speak. Some of them, you know, a lot of, a lot of dripping, a lot of, not a lot of forethought. I think we can just be, so smart after uh, after a, a while and we you know you develop tricks and if a painting is trick heavy then it i see it in my work you know that's usually when i start cutting stuff up 
you know, I'm curious too, you were kind of alluding to this. What, are these all kind of usually smaller scale work? It's really interesting to, to guess, you know, from a digital side, how big some of these are, because some of them look massive relative to their scale, because there's so much packed into them. But there's one called a hyperlight pylon that I really think is maybe too clever. I don't know. I think it's a really beautiful looking painting. <laughs> but um, what's the scale of that one? That is, it's uh, 20 by 16. Okay. So beautiful size. I love that scale. <laughs> yeah. And most of these are that size or smaller, the ones towards the top. That is um, a lot of stuff that's on Instagram and more like very recent last six months is larger in scale. I, like I said, my facility has grown, but a lot of these are very intimate in their size. And I, I really do appreciate that. I think it, again, with mixed media, it, it coincides with that. I mean, people get up close, you know, they get their face up to it and really, you know, visually dig in. And I, I think that's great. And there, there's something to be said about being able to display 20 paintings out in front of yourself and, and work on all of them at once. Mm -hmm. They have a kind of kinship through that and they, they each kind of help each other along, you know, so there's something about the kind of, they're kind of viable in that sense. Well, there's something interesting about that relative to a period of time, too, because like you're saying, I mean, you're going to work on all these paintings at the same time. There's going to be, you know, certainly like, oh, my gosh, I'm using too much yellow, so I'm going to switch out to like, oh, this color is awful. Let's use that. But there is still kind of qualities that kind of carry over to the other ones, you know, like there's something really nice even in this one, especially like about the this kind of like white kind of like layered area at the top that almost looks like cloudy kind of gives it this unique kind of texture and i guess one thing that we haven't talked about either is that you know and you alluded to but i think the colors have gotten a lot more sophisticated i think if that makes sense like i feel like some of the other stuff earlier just doesn't have the same range i guess in the smaller area you know like there's another one called hostile that just has like a ton of these yellowish variations or I think that's the one you're talking about that had the text in it as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, correct. Again, it's just crazy to think about all these little variations of these yellows where I think earlier paintings might've had maybe slightly less variation, but maybe that's just my reading of it. I don't know. No, that's definitely, definitely accurate. I think that is one place for being clever is, is <laughs> very, very, very advantageous, you know, just be, being a little more savvy with um, knowing that those subtle shifts are really, they, they help you a great deal. So much of mark making is, is very overt, but having those little covert moments is, is really uh, helps a, you know, a composition sing. So are there like strategies that you use in terms of like colors? I mean, do you have like a bunch of like containers that are all like storing, you know, salmon or, you know, a color that you like, or is it something where you're kind of starting out fresh each time that you're making and you're just like, I'm going to mix this or I'm going to take this and put it over on this painting or, you know, I don't know that there's a lot of strategy. I think it develops as you get going, but like I said, I don't like to start by overthinking. Uh, that'll come later no matter what. Sure. So it just starts slinging it is kind of the initial entry point. Um, there's definitely colors and relationships that I'm married to. I mean, I'm pretty confident cadmium red is going to be what kills me. It's <laughs> like, like, cause I'm just overexposure at this point. These yellows and pinks have, I've become so incredibly fond of, especially the kind of fleshier tones seems like this kind of odd way to work the figure into an abstraction, you know, using a lot of acrylics, you know, a lot of them come in very bright colors, even kind of, I dare say, less sophisticated looking colors. Mm -hmm. And again, once you kind of beat them around a bit and step on them, um, 
you, you can kind of get them there. And that's just another thing that where the, the long walk you're better for. Well, and obviously the acrylic allows you to kind of work, you know, and let it dry more quickly. So I'm sure some of that is, you know, super advantageous because you can have a really bold color, you know, and maybe that's going to get shifted when you, you know, layer over it with like a transparent color, or like a really thin color too. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know if I'm highlighting all the ones that you want to highlight, but um, I'm really drawn to the uh, pageantry one. I think that one is like a beautiful painting. Is this one that you can live with or have you, <laughs> have you burned it? Cause you're, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I no, I, I hear you there. I think everything here exists in the real world, whether it's with me or elsewhere and, and hopefully elsewhere, because I, I, mention this to others i feel like i'm kind of holding these things hostage mm -hmm. it's like someone come by and save this painting before i i crucify it you know <laughs> but that is one that that is kind of near and dear to me i it's just a small intimate piece that went through so many motions so many different lives probably different times i documented and thought it was done and then you don't you rotate it and i think you can see the build there pretty well but in person it's something else entirely i mean there's fabric that's folded there you can see kind of centrally right justified it, it's yeah I, this this painting's done and i, I will not touch it i, I promise you well and that's, <laughs> that's the one thing like we were talking about earlier that's so interesting you know thinking about our our time of kind of exhibiting work because like all of those nuances like you really can't i don't think get in the same capacity obviously digitally you know even the scale of it because you know i'm looking at it at you know, something that's like what, like a fifth of the size of the actual painting or something. So, right. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, again, that's something that is interesting in, I guess, <laughs> our conversations right now. But obviously, you know, seeing these in person would be really, really uh, sweet, I think. So, I mean, they're very tactile. They're, whether it's just scabbing of oil paint or the mixed media aggression. Yeah. There's really something to be said to, to see that grit. You really, you, you, you gotta go see him. <laughs> you do. You do. As lovely as it is for accessibility online and keeping us all going right now. Yeah. It definitely nothing like standing in front of them. Yeah. And the texture I would imagine is especially more apparent and, you know, something that you utilize really pretty well. And I'm sure partially because of the, you know, the aesthetic, but then the fact that you're going to be painting over stuff and kind of like, oh, I don't like that. I'm going to fix that, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think just having that, you know, moving forward, flat you know kind of unmodulated bodies of paint over top of things that are clearly textured or folded or this and that it creates you know that kind of nice visual paradox where you're you're kind of butting up flatness with three-dimensional in a sense out of curiosity is there a, a show or anything where people might be able to see these in the near future or is that something that's still <laughs> in in covid uh, landscape what i had planned for 2020 as goes for all of us i'm sure got pushed back indefinitely you know i've inhabited some virtual spaces and um, one one exciting thing is a vr show virtual reality show at the gamut in downtown minneapolis it's housing some of my work and and other talented artists work they're kind of at the forefront of pushing that virtual experiences you know further you know kind of people in their own homes can through vr kind of work themselves into the gallery space so to speak you know, obviously there's there's avenues to be pursued while we kind of exist in this strange time. But um, that's that's one show that recently opened that that's had exciting results in the last couple of weeks since it's popped. But other than that, yeah, just a lot of things in limbo. But, 
you know, like, like I said, we'll reconvene physically. Uh, eventually I'm, I'm certain. And, and I'm sure a lot of artists spending this time, you know, reloading, sure, so to speak. So I'm sure there'll be a lot to be enthused about when that time comes. Yeah. Again, it'll be nice to see work like this in person again for the time being, uh, aside from that, uh, you mentioned Instagram before. I'm sure you're posting stuff there for people to check out all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's just Derek underscore August underscore. And that is where things go up frequently. You know, the website is a, a bit of a chore. You know, it, it gets the big overhaul every six months or so, you know, with a swath of new work. But Instagram, you know, gets as things finished, I really just to move the practice along, try to document and post right away. Just, be, you know, it's just part of the practice, you know, the, the archivist in us. Yeah, and it's interesting to think about it even sometimes it gives you a little bit to think about why you're seeing it, you know, like in that format, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, I, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to me about your work. It was a really nice conversation. I appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for your time and your energy. Thanks once again to Derek for joining me. Be sure and check out his work at Derek-Meyer.com. You should also follow him on Instagram. His handle is at Derek underscore August underscore and stay up to date with all of the work that's going on there. There's tons of new stuff, so be sure and follow him. You can also check out his work as part of the Visual Gamut Gallery in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and you'll find that link right in Studio Break's post for this. So be sure and check out the work there. If you're holed up in your studio looking for art, why not check out studiobreak.com? We've got a slew of interviews up there and artists featured with images of their work and links to their websites and galleries. You can listen to the interviews right there in the default player or just look to your left and click those links. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. You can, of course, do us a solid by leaving us some positive reviews. That would be awesome. Or just sharing or spreading the word. Karma always comes back, so please do your part. We really appreciate it. You can also stay up to date with Studio Break by liking our Facebook page, following us on Twitter at Studio Break, and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And, of course, before we wrap today, I want to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his work at SkylarMail.net. And, of course, if you want to see some of my paintings, head over to davidlinaway.com or you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at David Linaway. And we've arrived. Again, I hope you really enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. I hope that your studios are productive, and we'll talk to you real soon.